Welcome to Churches Planting Churches, a podcast on the theology and practice of church planting. I'm your host, Tony Morita. Misconceptions about the small, forgotten places of the world abound in our day. On the one hand, rural communities can be seen as idyllic, utopian communities where life moves slowly and people are friendly. On the other hand, they can be viewed as places where people are uneducated, stuck in the past, and thus not worthy of much attention. Such notions are often unfounded and unhelpful. Further, as Christians, we can and must view the small places of the world with both realism and gospel hope. Small towns across the globe are broken because they are filled, even if sparsely, with sinners like you and me. In light of that reality, what the small forgotten places of the world needs are healthy churches. And that's why we care about planting churches in rural communities across the world. But this is no easy task. What will it take to see healthy churches planted in rural communities? What are some of the unique challenges involved? How can churches get involved in this crucial work? To discuss these things and more, I'm excited to have Dave Pinkney with me on the podcast today. David is the co-director of the Rural Collective in Acts 29. He's also an area lead for Acts 29 in northern New England. He serves as pastor of River of Grace Church in Concord, New Hampshire. He also serves on the Small Town Summits team at the Gospel Coalition. David is married to Sharon, and they have five children. David, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you here, Tony. So uh, David and I right now are recording this in the great state of West Virginia. We are at, uh, what do we call these, uh, Rural Collective Summits? Yes, Summits, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we do these where? All over? This is number two. We okay. have just started these. It's a new launch. Uh, a, we can talk a little bit about it, but yeah, this is number two. We did one last week in Oregon. Wow. So we're going from Oregon to, uh, to West Virginia. And this one, I love the title, it's called The Gospel in the Hollers. And you had to practice that word, didn't you? I did. Uh, we don't have hollers in New Hampshire. <laughs> what do you have? Oh, man, we have ski slopes and uh, <laughs> the Boston Red Sox. And uh... <laughs> Hey, before we get into the uh, Rural Collective and uh, some of the work that, that you're doing, helping uh, to oversee around the world, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to faith in Christ, a bit about your family. Hi, Tony. Uh, my dad moved to New Hampshire in 1965 to start pastoring a church. I was two years old. He was 44. Uh and uh, grew up in small town New Hampshire, came to Jesus as a, a young lad, and, and the, I can still remember the day, the immense weight of sin in my life just overwhelmed me, and I knew my dad could help me get Jesus on the inside. That was my goal. So I've uh, been tracking with Jesus, um, you know, as a, as a broken guy, but as uh, someone who has no other hope other than Jesus since I was just a, uh, a young guy, and uh, went off to college to uh, follow Jesus, but I honestly didn't like the church. Um, and uh, so, but it was the second year into uh, college where as an RA in a dorm, the guys, it was a Christian college and the guys kept saying, you make a good pastor, make a good pastor. I said, okay, Jesus, if that's what you want me to do, I'll I'm down that track. Yeah. So you, you said your dad's a pastor. My What's dad, pastor? Well, he's passed away back in uh, 2011. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he passed. I grew up in a, I'm a PK. Mm-hmm. Small yeah. town pastor. Yep. Yep. Uh, so that's been my all my formative years. My only church experience have been small churches. Yeah. So talk to us about those church experiences. Walk us through to where you are now. Well, the first church I call the Wonder Years um, because I was a young little guy, and this church was the most wonderful family. And uh, 
I'm, I'm convinced, I'm convinced uh, to kind of steal the title of Hillary Clinton's book, It Takes a Village. It takes a church to, to raise a kid. And uh, I, I just flourished as a, as a young guy in that environment. Dad then, uh, I was about nine years old when he moved to, uh, took a staff position on a church for about two years. It was a church about 200, which in New Hampshire was huge. Uh, and I, that was sort of a, started to taint me towards um, not, not Jesus, but the church. And then dad ended up at the last church he was in, uh, which I ended up following him. He, he, I just came out of college and uh, he was 65 and he decided to retire one summer and I'd been preaching for him. He'd been paying me under the table to preach. I was going, planning to go to seminary and uh, uh, the church had me preaching for six months. I was 23 and dad says, I'm done. And it Little Baptist Church, 50 people voted me in. I mean, what kind of damage can you do to that, right? So so two questions to that. One, what does paying you under the table mean? He gave and, me 100 bucks a week to, to okay. do the sermon. They just gave you cash? Cash. Before you left? Yeah, I mean, I was working full time. Yeah. I just got engaged. I finished college, and uh, Dad was tired of preaching, and uh, it, it, was a good, it was a good ramp up. Yeah. So you had some issues with the church. Um, how and why did your view of the church change, or do you still hate it? No man, I, uh, I I repent. I mean, it's it's as I would say, it's Jesus's babe, it's his love, and I've come to adore it. Uh, I think my my disdain for it early on was because of I think bad practice in the church. Mm. You know, I I love the people in the church, but then on Wednesdays they would have these business meetings and fight like it was just awful. Mm-hmm. I, it that didn't it just didn't collate in my head as far as or, um, like how how is this? So I just thought it was a failed system. Jesus had Plan B. Mm. Yeah. And he doesn't. Yeah. Well, if anybody loves the church, it's my man right here, uh, David Pinckney. And um, he's been at it for a while um, in ministry now. 32 for 30, years. 32 years. Wow. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the, the work you're doing um, in Acts 29 and talk about uh, doing rural ministry. Let's just start with how do you pronounce rural? Rural? In, in West Virginia, it's one syllable. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, rural. it's rural. Rural is it's really t- – it's kind of rolls, but uh, rural is how you say it. But, you know, just say small, Tony, small ministry. Small ministry. Was there ever discussion about having a different title other than rural Oh, I can't collective? go into that. Uh, yes, there was. And uh, rural collective won. It won. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, praise the Lord. Um, what was it like being uh, a son uh, of a pastor in a small town? Again, um, I think... There, my dad was my hero. Uh, he was called to ministry when he was about 40, went off to college when, at that same time. I was born when he was at Houghton College. Um, and my dad loved the town. He worked in the town. He helped roof people's houses. He just, he just did stuff. And so I saw him as this model man who loved the church and loved the town. And uh, so, I again, I, I experienced in that small setting, um, a, a, a dad who loved his people and loved his town. Hmm. Um, what transpired after that was we ended up in a church where the, again, um, the, the, I think the politic of the church was poisoned by structure. Hmm. And some of that joy got stifled in dad and the effectiveness of evangelism was clearly stifled. Hmm. Uh, I, I like to ask the question, are you excited or embarrassed to bring somebody to your church? Mm-hmm. And I would have been embarrassed to bring someone to our church. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people were kind of loving, but there was clearly not this healthy, vibrant, uh, yeah, we're broken, but there ought to be this just uh, 
real healthy, vibrant body. That ought to express itself in the way it also does its work on, on sort of the administrative side. So, mm. yeah. Now, I'm sure those negative uh, experiences helped you think about the church, how to shape the church, structure the church. Um, did you learn from those experiences? I imagine you did. Well, uh, yeah. In fact, one of the things we did early on was, over time, transition the church from being a pastor-led church to an elder-led church. And that took time. Um, it actually went smoother than y- you could imagine I, I, in a small, old Baptist church in New England. Mm. So it took probably about mm, four years for the transition. Mm. But that was, that was actually one of that was pivotal. And the second was changing the philosophy that the church was here for people not in it mm. and so that becoming uh servants to the community that that, cr- that created actually greater controversy we lost like in the course of like two years lost five key families in that little village church because we went from being what i would consider ingrown to outward focused mm-hmm. yeah i think that's um it's an important note to make as we talk about structure and elders is that it's it's not only for the the shepherding of the flock, the good of those who are, who are there, though it is for sure. Like we want to uh, structure in such a way that we're caring for our people well, but it's also for the advancement of the mission, right? And often it's structure that is stifling uh, the forward progress of the gospel. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love to use the word word picture. Often the uh, unfortunately the American evangelical church has taken on the sh- sh- sort of the shape and. Thought, thinking of a cruise ship where everything is about uh, the comfort of the ride on those those on board who are heading to paradise when in reality with a lot of the same structures and purposes it's re- we're really supposed to be a coast guard cutter which exists for those who are dying and mm. need to be brought on board and made into crew members and, and it, it, so there's a lot of similarities but the purpose is different. Yeah, yeah. I've been on a few cruises, and there's there's no mission happening on a cruise, right? It, it's all about you, man. <laughs> it is all about. Well, uh, we won't go there. Hey, so we're at this uh, Rural Collective Summit. Tell us a little bit about the Rural Collective. Uh, uh, how is uh, the collective seeking to facilitate and catalyze church planting in small communities around the world? Yeah, so Acts 29 saw one of the desperate needs we needed to focus on was that uh, church plant needs to happen, not just in uh, metropolitan, urban hipster, suburban places, but in small places that are forgotten and isolated. And so um, thank God that the leadership of Acts 29 saw fit to launch uh, what became labeled the Rural Collective. And our goal is just to help churches plant more rural churches. So that's that's our goal. Um, and can, can you hold, hold right there? Can yeah. you define rural? Like, how do you? Sure, great, great question. Actually, uh, that's the question we get asked the most. And um, we use emotive terms uh, like small, forgotten, and isolated, uh, because even the like the federal government can't can't even agree on what's rural. They often say, "Well, whatever is not urban," but that's just not correct. I mean, that's, so I mean, you can use a technical term called LPP, lesser populated places. Uh, but what's 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 that number, right? Like, who determines what's rural? So we just use those terms: uh, small, isolated, and forgotten, mm. and that helps us. And then we then we ask people to then to self-identify. Uh, that's. I think that's really helpful. If you feel like you're rural, then you're rural, hmm. uh, unless you're living in like downtown Chicago and uh, you're just it's pretty you're obvious. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're high on something. That, that's very helpful. I like those terms a lot. Small, isolated, forgotten. Yep. You feel that way. Yep. Very emotive. Yep. 
So guys listening to this podcast who may have an interest in church planting, they want support, they want to be part of uh, a brotherhood, right? you would encourage them to absolutely, uh, absolutely. get engaged. Right now in Acts 29, how many churches do we have roughly off the top of your head? Who, who who fit this category? Well, if we ask them to self-identify it, that would be an interesting number. If we just take the number of Acts 29 churches in, in population basis of 10,000 or less, we have 34. Wow. It's stunning. So only 34 out of, what do we have now, 700, around 700 plus? Yeah. yeah, so 5%. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm sure it would be higher, but probably not a ton higher if they did self-identify. Right. Well, even my church in Concord. So most of our people live in rural communities, but we gather in Concord, which is a city of 40,000. So New Hampshire is a rural state. So that that number doesn't – we would actually identify on that scale as not being in the 10,000 or less. Uh But we are – we are reaching rural people. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I cut you off there. Uh, what's the rural collective seeking to, to do in church planting? And I think we just sort of hit it in the digression. Um, but I know you just went to Africa. Yeah. And uh, tell us about your time with uh, our brother, Robert, and uh, what what the collaborative looks like over there. So Robert Manda is an amazing brother. He's a co-director with me in the, in the rural collective. And... Uh, it, uh, we have two goals. One is to to work in the sort of African, Asia, Latin America areas to create models and methods to promote rural planting, and the other then is to do the same in Western um, Western settings. Robert um, pastors uh, New Life Church or New Hope Church, a New Life Church in Lilongwe. Now, Lilongwe is the capital of Malawi, and it. It would be classified as a city, but it's not a city. It's it's like this the largest rural village you've been to, and uh, he has like 500 people in church, four cars in the parking lot. Everybody pretty much walks. Half the people are barefoot. Uh, this is this is rural, um, and he also has a pastor uh, institute for training. He has ten guys, ten residents in. And he has them for a year, does pastoral uh, theology training in the morning, agricultural training in the afternoon, with the goal of supporting them for the first year back in their village. And so Robert is trying to propagate uh, rural planters in a, a, not just a nation, but a region that desperately needs rural Hmm. planters. And then we hope that that model he has can be transferred to other regions of Africa. I mean, Africa is 54 countries. I mean, first time there, I'm just overwhelmed. Kenya has 44 tribes. So um, there's just an immense amount of work. This leads me to quote a friend of mine, Stephen Whitmer, who's um, on the uh, Gospel Coalition with me in New England. And he, he talks about their church planting strategy being a 100-year strategy. I just think we have to that, – that helps you yeah. relax a little bit and go, okay, we got some time here. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. What a model for training too, huh? We're going to do expository preaching in the morning and farming in the afternoon. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that, that leads to one of the major challenges we have is resourcing rural planting, whether it's the West or, or non-West settings. Um, it's just not it's, – it's going to be very difficult to raise funds. So one of my goals is to make bivocational pastoring honorable again. Yeah. That it's not just a transition to full-time. If God leads you that way, that's great. But bivocational is going to often be the long-term strategy for rural planting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so talk a little bit about some of the challenges. You, we've mentioned some in terms of uh, vocation, uh, you know, supporting oneself, et cetera. What would be some other challenges uh, as those perhaps who are listening who are not in a small town, maybe um, didn't grow up in a small town? Like help us to 
help us to uh, identify with the challenges in these these small uh, small town pastors. Yeah. So um, first of all, uh, almost half the world's population live in what would be rural or non-urban places, uh, and even though there's this continual move towards urbanization, actually a missionary in Africa, Mozambique, said this, it's really the ruralization of urban centers. And we, we just need to value people mm. wherever they are. And and small people living, living in small places matter. And so one of the challenges is just to value that. Um, we, we've been listening to city to city stuff and that's all good and God glorious and that needs to happen. But the reality is, is that if God calls you to a town of 3,000 and you're a bivocational uh, contractor and that's going to be your calling in life and you have a church of 40 and, and, and people come to Jesus, uh, you know, that's honorable. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And so one of the challenges is just just saying that. Yeah. And the other is to create a, a context of support. So one of our goals, we have this rural summit here in uh, West Virginia. We've got one in uh, rural Wisconsin and rural uh, uh, Northern Ireland in the fall, hopefully one in uh, rural Oklahoma. But one of the one of the goals is actually create a community of guys who support one another. And and, and so part of this, the, the, the summit is to bring together guys and say, hey, we're in this together. And it's just a, um, a real excitement that happens. This model came out of uh, small town summits in New England. And when you have a small town summit, a conference just for rural guys in Vermont and have 85 guys show up, and they're looking at each other going, I didn't know there were this many you know, mm-hmm. rural pastors who love Jesus in Vermont. So that's one of our goals. And then, and then our, another goal, and this is sort of a challenge, is to sort of create um, support teams and identify rural leaders who have in their bandwidth of leadership capacity, the ability to shepherd and, and lead regional uh, rural support structures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've always been encouraged by with uh, small town pastors, and, and we're in the room right now with one of them, uh, our man Paul Bokel, um, is that you can be in a small town but have a global reach. Um, and I think one of the benefits of being part of A29 is that um, yeah. we know Robert, you know, like he's not just a name. And uh, the guys you're mentioning in Northern Ireland or uh, Scotland, um, yeah. it's really cool to be in our small town, you know, working hard, uh, knowing the people. Uh, frequenting the same restaurants and yep. gas stations, but also have these relationships around the world. Um, that's really special. And it, it, as much as the challenge of being a global network, there's so, uh, just spent time with Eddie Zandella, who is uh, a planter with Acts 29 outside of New York City and Cliffside Park, New Jersey, a Spanish-speaking congregation, was part of his assessment team. He is not rural at all, but he's Guatemalan, and he has a passion to see the gospel go to villages in Guatemala. And so we can link him up mm-hmm. with the Guatemala guys, and we've got rural churches being planted in, in, uh, in Guatemala. And so now we have a guy who has a heart to see uh, this 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 uh, connection in, in this global network uh, benefit his home his home country absolutely yeah what are some of the misconceptions people have about small town ministry 
well, obviously when it's not important, but think about it. If Jesus died for people in that village and they come to Jesus, you know, I, it keeps me sane. To, I, I count baptisms not because I report to anybody and nobody cares really, but because it reminds us that our little church of 80 people is seeing people come to Jesus on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And so the misconception is, is that it's not important. Um, the mis- misconception is that it's... Um, it's struggling. I meet rural guys who are happy. They've got a good uh, elder team. They've got a good uh, way of providing for their family. Uh, they're rejoicing the gospel. And they've come to peace with their calling isn't to have, quote, unquote, a platform. They're just, they're just, so the misconception is if you go to a small place, you're going to be miserable. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people may, but uh, yeah. you, you could actually be a very joyful small town pastor. Yeah. And then I think another misconception, would you agree, in certain places, is that if you're in a small town, there's no money there. But in a place, say, like England, um, a lot of small towns are wealthy. Yeah, that's that's one of the misconceptions. It's right, yeah. Not all small towns are the same, in other words. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, Like uh, in the U.K. and Australia, and actually um, I was just visiting a small town pastor in Suffield, Connecticut, a town of 15,000, no evangelical witness, plant a church there, very wealthy very wealthy and and so it's yeah that is a misconception that rural is not always poor although it frequently can be it can mm-hmm. often be wealthy and that becomes even a, a greater challenge in some mm-hmm. regard absolutely yeah absolutely um, one of the distinguishing marks of uh, small towns is their sense of community whether that's just perceived or, or real um, is this an advantage to ministry in these places these little tight-knit communities or, or do you think that makes it harder I suppose it depends in some ways on each situation it's harder if you're a hypocrite uh, because <laughs> you can't get away with it as easy um, it's actually better because the community is genuine I, I live in this town of 2200 I serve as the chairman of the cemetery committee I have <laughs> lost friends very I'm part of a we're part, my wife and I part of a book club in our little Little town for 10 years and uh, we talk Jesus with these friends who are neighbors so the benefit is if 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 you can live honestly in front of them and love on them long term um, I, I, I it's it's very very good hmm. good living what is the seminary cemetery I said seminary maybe that was yeah, uh, 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 so. <laughs> yeah. what is that committee like our little town of 2200 have 21 cemeteries. Our town is established in the 1700s. Um, so the cemetery uh, committee uh, trustees are given the job of making sure maintenance is done, making sure people are buried in the right place, <laughs> marriage, making sure people don't dig up their uh, their relatives, which in our little town happens. Some guy in a drunken state wanted to dig up his ex-wife and uh, brought in a backhoe during the night. So um, it's got some interesting um you know, interesting dynamics to it. I didn't. Uh, it was just one of the ways I wanted to serve the town, not to be the chairperson. In fact, I. I, I so you're the chairperson. I am the chairperson. <laughs> I'm learning a lot about the the. Uh, yeah, I can, we have all sorts of uh, jokes about the grave nature of our our role, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, in addition to the rural collective, collaborative uh, collective, yeah, well, I always get the two mixed yeah, up. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, you you're the chairman of the seminary cemetery committee yeah and a pastor yeah. when do you sleep dave I get, the older you get the less sleep you need oh really so, yeah 55 you know i'm down to six hours a night and that's how uh, many times you get up go to the bathroom though man I, at, at least once <laughs> yeah yeah it's just genuine <laughs> yeah the body this body is changing it's uh, and 
Yeah. Uh, last question. So uh, if, if big uh, guys in, in larger cities, urban areas, they want to get involved in uh, what we're doing here with uh, small town uh, ministry, um, if they have a particular heart for it, um, where can they start? How, what, what counsel would you give them? And then perhaps what, what kind of caution, if any, would you give to them? Yeah, so I think there's a number of uh, good models out there. Frontline Church in Oklahoma City had set up a residency, and one of the guys they took in for two years basically paid a full-time salary for Tim Kimberly, who's going back to rural Iowa to plant. Uh, this is a mega church in Frontline in, in, uh, in Oklahoma City, and so there, that, that became a model. Um, Cities, city churches, whether regardless of what size, can have a huge impact by partnering overseas. A hundred dollar support in Africa goes so far, goes so far. And if you develop a relationship and take people to the same same country, same group, same, uh, we've got a number of actually churches. I think of uh, Ad, uh, Advanced Community Church uh, outside of Pittsburgh. They've been going to Dominican Republic for like five or six years. We had our first Acts 29 uh, conference down there, assessed our first rural pastor down there, and all because this one church of 150 people kept going back and going back and going back. So uh, as far as warnings um, or, you know, I would say don't think you're going to change the world quickly. Um Again, think of think of the long game. Yeah. And if Jesus comes back next week, it's no loss. But yeah. you know, if if you make if you think you're going to be doing a lot in three or five years, mm-hmm. uh, rural is agriculture, and agriculture is 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 just a picture of time. It just takes time for things to grow. Yeah. 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 It's good. It's good. Um, so, how can listeners keep up with uh, the work you're doing with X29 in this work? Yeah, I mean, the best way is to connect with, with us through the X29 webpage. The rural's part there. Um, it, we're trying. To, we're trying to promote these summits, and uh, we urge not just rural uh, churches uh, to come, but any anybody from any size church to be immersed in the idea that maybe. And here, maybe a closing thought for me would be, maybe some professionals in your church that have a high capacity and are, and, and are uh, highly devoted and, and mature, maybe they need to go home to their village, their town they grew up in, and plant a church while they're entrepreneurial or bivocational. And, you know, I just think a lot of a lot of uh, larger churches need to challenge some people. Maybe going home is what God wants you to do. Mm-hmm. Now, these summits, um, if somebody wants to host a summit, how does that work? Contact us. Yeah, we would okay. love to talk with you. We're trying to make these uh, um, locally sourced, so we don't come in with. Um, our goal isn't to come in with like big name speakers. Our goal is to come in with, with uh, primarily axe training guys from that area, that state, that region, the one in Wisconsin. You know, coming in with guys. Uh, I'll be there, but I'm not. I'm just emceeing it. I'm not doing any of the major speaking. I'm there to help talk with guys who are considering planting. But um, yeah, so. If you're interested, uh, give us a call or connect to, through, uh, with us through uh, Action on our webpage, and we will be happy to talk with you about a summit. Hmm. David Pinckney, Cemetery Chairman, Rural Collective, uh, Director, Pastor, Husband, Dad. Thanks, brother, for being on the podcast with us. Thank you very much.